Welcome to the Journal.ease, The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what's happening with the DUP? And as I prepare to depart the political stage, it is my view that if Northern Ireland is to prosper, then it will only do so built on the foundations of successful and durable devolution. That was Arlene Foster's resignation speech as she confirmed she will be stepping down as leader of the Democratic Unionist Party. It was quite quick in the end. Last weekend, Foster knew she was going through one of those difficult patches that leaders often have to endure. But within days, she was seeing the inevitable. Her time as the head of the DUP in Northern Ireland had come to an end. She called her party chairman and issued a statement to confirm her final day would be the 28th of May. A leadership contest, a first for the party, had begun. Why did her resignation become inevitable though? How come there was no option to save her career and what of her legacy now? There are some of the questions we'll be answering today, but also what's the future of the DUP? On Friday morning, we learned from the BBC that she probably won't be just leaving her leadership positions, but the party as a whole. The reasons for the party's unhappiness with Foster range from the very obvious Brexit protocol, which has led to a border in the Irish Sea, to the more unexpected letters expressing disappointment with her for abstaining in a vote about banning gay conversion therapy. We've talked a bit about Northern Ireland in recent weeks on The Explainer and obviously a lot about Brexit in recent months. And those conversations point to not exactly political stable situation in the North. What could a new leader do? Could they stabilize or create more unease? How are voters going to react? Vacuums in power throw up a lot of questions we'll endeavor to answer. And I'm thrilled to have our own Dominic McGrath, who I'll always call our own, but is currently working with BBC Radio Foil on The Explainer today. Welcome back, Dominic. Thanks for having me. Firstly, can you give us a brief rundown of who the DUP are and who Arlene Foster is? Of course. So the DUP is probably much more familiar today than it was even a few years ago, as Brexit put it into, I think, maybe international prominence. The DUP is the largest unionist party in Northern Ireland. It didn't always have that title. It slowly overtook the Ulster Unionist Party in the aftermath of the Good Friday Agreement. Arlene Foster is the third leader of the DUP, following on from Ian Paisley, who led the party for decades and then was replaced by Peter Robinson. And Arlene Foster, of course, was the first female leader of the party and someone who was part of that modernization project of the DUP. She herself is from Fermanagh. She is proud of her roots in the county and she did have quite significant ministerial experience before taking office. Um, people who speak to her say she is you know, quite personable, quite friendly. And again, she is very much a part of that um, local community in Fermanagh around the border. Um, and I think you'll remember a few years ago when the DUP held the balance of power in Westminster following Theresa May's disastrous 2017 election, there were various profiles of Arlene Foster in the international media. And they spoke about her background, how she was shaped by growing up on the border. Of course, her father survived an IRA attack and she's spoken about how that really shaped, I think, her perceptions of life on the border and in Northern Ireland. And she'll also be remembered for the Cash for Ash or RHI scandal um, in relation to a botched renewable heating scheme and which obviously also led to the collapse and the temporary collapse of devolution in Northern Ireland. 
Dominic, we don't want to get bogged down in this, but could you give me a, a quick a summary as you can on what the cash for our scandal was? So this is probably one of the biggest scandals in perhaps even the history of Northern Ireland. The RHI scheme paid 1,200 businesses to switch from oil and gas to what was meant to be environmentally friendly heating using wood pellet boilers. But it turned out the subsidy payment was actually higher than the cost of the fuel, creating a perverse incentive to use the boilers to generate income. Now, this eventually turned into what was wittily called the cash for ash scandal, and it completely disrupted politics here in Northern Ireland, and of course, partially led to the collapse of the Assembly. Let's fast forward. Can you take us through a timeline of what went on this week for her? This week was in some ways quite slow moving, but at the same time also incredibly, incredibly rapid. So this week, it seemed that internal opposition to Arlene Foster reached a peak. Of course, there had been rumblings for months, if not years, um, that Arlene Foster's leadership was in doubt. There were outright um, displays of insubordination, for want of a better word, from some members of her party. Um, Of course, her credibility was damaged by the RHI scandal and subsequent inquiry. Of course, it was damaged by the implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol on the border in the Irish Sea, one of her blood red lines, as she called it when discussing and negotiating Brexit with the British government. But things came to a head this week after months, really, of loyalist and unionist unrest over Brexit. What seems to have sparked this opposition and this putsch, this heave, this coup, however you want to call it, is Arlene Foster's decision to abstain on a motion in Westminster on gay conversion therapy. Um, Now, of course, the DUP, for anyone who follows Northern Ireland politics, they will know it is a religious party based originally around Ian Paisley's own free Presbyterian church. And Arlene Foster's decision to abstain on this motion calling for a ban on gay conversions therapy is said to have caused quite a significant amount of consternation um, in her party and perhaps gave members of the party, uh, both uh, members of the parliamentary party, but also the grassroots, perhaps a sense that Arlene Foster was pulling the party in a more liberal direction, which had been a sense Uh, of something that had been happening in recent years. Because she abstained from that vote rather than, you know, voting to to ban gay conversion therapy. So I'm kind of getting a feeling from that, that maybe she she didn't know that this was coming um, or that she may have felt that people in her party didn't care as deeply as maybe they've now shown that they do. Indeed, it's interesting because um, we did hear this morning reporting um, by the BBC, of course, that Arlene Foster does seem to be deciding to leave the DUP when she quits as leader of the Democratic Unionist Party. That would be remarkable. Um, And of course, Arlene Foster has not been uh, a member of the DUP for her entire political career. She defected from the Ulster Unionist Party in the early 2000s. But it does seem to be that Arlene Foster, at least in her own mind, 
apparently has moved beyond what the DUP stands for, or at least um, is perhaps uncomfortable with the direction her party seems to be pulling her or pulling it in recent years. And Arlene Foster's leadership has probably for around 18 months been a subject of quite frenzied speculation. Um, and who knows what would have happened if a pandemic um, had not occurred. But she did, at least in recent days, appear to think she could brazen it out. She seemed to dismiss the idea that this was you know, a routine discussion, a routine um, tribulation that all leaders have to deal with in political parties from time to time. Of course, Michal Martin might be able to sympathise in relation to Fianna Fáil, but it did not turn out like that. And of course, it seemed to be that a vast majority of her party did seem this time that they were intent on forcing her to go. Now, she will hold on the party leadership for another few weeks and months, and of course, hold on to the position of first minister for a while yet. And of course, she will see out um, those important Northern Ireland centenary celebrations in the days to come. But it does seem that the pressure that had been building for months and months has finally um, become too much for Arlene Foster. Dominic, will you just take us through the numbers um, of the letter of no confidence? Um, because there was a significant, even though what you said, she was treating it like it was routine, but there was a significant number of MLAs who were saying, look, we don't want you as our leader anymore. Yes, yeah, so it's quite difficult sometimes to get a grasp of what's going on inside the DUP. Unlike other parties, uh, other more perhaps traditional parties or parties in the Republic of Ireland, it is harder to get a sense publicly of what's going on. There's no uh, Mark McSharry's, there's no Jim O'Callaghan's who are giving vocal public opposition to the leadership, or at least sniping from the sidelines. But various reporting did indicate that around 80% of MLAs, um, peers and MPs did um, sign various letters calling on Arlene Foster to go. Now, there is speculation of who did or who did not um, sign this letter, but I think an indication actually has emerged since um, Arlene Foster stepped down of, you know, the the level of perhaps disappointment and frustration. Christopher Stalford is a, a quite a prominent and quite capable uh, DUP MLA, and he announced um, yesterday that he would be supporting Edwin Putin. Now, he would be seen as a a loyalist to Arlene Foster. So it's, it's telling that people like that are now coming out and backing someone who would appear to um, be rightwards to Arlene Foster's position. So it does suggest that, you know, she really did um, lose the party. And it was interesting because, you know, in the in the hour after we, we learned that Arlene Foster would be resigning, I was calling around some MLAs and MLAs would usually be amenable and happy to chat. All of them declined to talk or said to go through the press office. Again, I'd called councillors. Again, usually happy to chat, especially councillors perhaps here in Derry who are well away from the, the machinations of Stormont um, in Belfast. And again, they all declined to comment. They all said to go through the press office. So it goes to show that even though the DUP was in many ways open revolt, it wasn't very open to outside observers. We just should probably explain to people what an MLA is there, just in case for people who don't follow Northern Irish politics very closely. So an MLA, for anyone who doesn't know, is a member of the Northern Ireland devolved assembly. 
You mentioned Edwin Poots there as being a contender as the next leader of the DUP, but who are his rivals in that competition? So firstly, Edwin Poots is actually probably worth talking about a little bit. Uh, He's been a member of the DUP for the entirety of his political career. He might be quite reasonably known at the moment because he is the Minister for Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs, which does mean somewhat paradoxically that he's actually charged with implementing some key parts of the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now, he would be seen as perhaps more hard line, more to the right, perhaps more uh, in line with the DUP's religious origins compared to Arlene Foster. Um, He's 55 years old and you might remember in 2011 as health minister uh, when he maintained a ban on blood donations from gay men that had been lifted um, in England, Scotland and Wales. And he's also previously argued against LGBT couples being allowed to adopt children. Uh, And he's also, of course, been critical of um, abortion legislation being imposed, as he would see it, from Westminster on Northern Ireland. Now, saying that, there has been talk in recent days of him being more pragmatic and having good relations, good cross-party relations with um, other parties in the Assembly, such as Sinn Féin, and again, being a capable minister. So there is a bit of discussion over whether he would be as hard line as people expect, but there is no doubt that he definitely comes from a more rightward camp than Arlene Foster. Now, his rivals are very interesting. One of the people being talked about is Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. He probably is more familiar to people in um, Ireland simply because he often crops up on RTE and in the media more generally because he's seen as a very capable um, communicator, perhaps the Simon Harris of the DUP. Um, He's 58. Um, He as again, like Arlene Foster, began his political career in the Ulster Unionist Party, but left to join the DUP. He is uh, the DUP's Westminster leader, the longest serving um, MP from Northern Ireland. Of course, you'd have seen his contributions in Parliament throughout uh, the Brexit debate. Um, another rival, perhaps more interestingly, and someone who might be less familiar, is Gavin Robinson. He's 36, so he's very young. Um, compared to the other contenders, and even young, of course, compared to Arlene Foster. And he's been quite successful in his political career. He um, won um, East Belfast back in 2015, um, and he took back the seat um, from the Alliance Party leader, Naomi Long, that generated significant interest back then. Um, And he is seen as, on that sort of slightly more liberal wing of the DUP. Now, of course, uh, like other members of the DUP, he opposes the Northern Ireland Protocol. But given his youth, given that he is a very good communicator, I think people are perhaps seeing him as an attractive option who may help invigorate um, the party and help it appeals still to slightly more moderate DUP voters. And I remember covering the uh, 2019 DUP party conference ahead of that significant UK general election. He did play quite a, a big role in it. He was very much to the forefront and a very good, very able and seemingly well-liked communicator. There's talk of splitting the leadership between Westminster and Stormont. How would that work? Yeah, so it's, it's quite an interesting discussion. It's something we haven't seen before. Now, I say we haven't seen it before. Of course, Michelle O'Neill is Deputy First Minister and not leader of her party. But this would be probably slightly different. People have talked about a configuration that would see perhaps Jeffrey Donaldson as leader of the party, the leader 
from Westminster, but you would have Edwin Poots as first minister. Now, this is something that people have been talking about nearly as it's as it's sewn up, as it's a done thing. Of course, it's not. Um, we still don't know whether there will be an actual leadership contest first in the DUP's history. Um, again, to bear in mind, there have only been three leaders of the DUP in the entirety of its history. But we don't exactly know yet what's going to happen. But this could be a configuration that might work to the DUP's advantage, maybe a best of both worlds situation. But again, it's hard to know whether it works. Some people have said it's an orthodox. I think others have perhaps said it, you know, it could potentially work. It would be novel, but it's not entirely um, unusual. Though, of course, it would be strange to have your party leader ensconced perhaps in Westminster and the, the world of London as opposed to um, Stormont. Yeah, and there's been a lot of commentary in the last couple of days as well about the party likely being lurched further to the right as part of this leadership contest or whoever the new leader will be. Is that inevitable or is there a, an alternative where they could become more progressive? It's, it's, it's very difficult to know what is going to happen next, um, in part perhaps because of the speed of um, this coup against Arling Foster. There has been some reporting and some suggestions the DP is not sure exactly where it should turn next. Now, there is a sense that these the decision to remove Arlene Foster, and of course, the, perhaps the more hardline response we saw from the DUP in recent months over the Northern Ireland Protocol has been driven by a fear of Jim Allister's um, traditional unionist voice, the TUV, a more um, right-wing unionist party, and a fear that it has been, it has been outflanked by Jim Allister and his party. So that has driven a sense that the DUP is trying to chase voters who are being uh, who are alienated over things like the Northern Ireland Protocol and perhaps even um, the controversy um, over the Bobby Story funeral, uh, the DUP's response to that. But then, of course, on the other hand, you have people who are looking at the electoral dynamics and saying, well, the DUP doesn't need to fear the TUV, it should be fearing the Alliance Party, which I think, as a lot of people know, has made significant electoral progress in Northern Ireland in recent years, especially in recent elections. And people are saying, look, the DUP, if it wants to do well, should actually be worried about Naomi Long and her party, which is more progressive, backed by younger voters a lot of the time, and is doing quite well, especially in the DUP heartlands in the east of Northern Ireland. So there's a bit of a difficulty here. I think you've got to realise that Party management is very different and a distinct challenge for leaders from electoral calculation. So any leader must have a focus, of course, on winning votes, but they also, of course, have to manage their party. And I think we're seeing those two tensions at play in the decision over what direction the DUP will go next. But of course, given that people are talking about Edwin Poots as a potential leader, that would give a sense the party is, is moving in perhaps a more hardline direction or perhaps even going back to um, or undoing some of the modernization work that was carried out by Peter Robinson. But that is an open question. And what will a new DUP leader mean for Northern Ireland as a whole? Like that's kind of looking at the DUP electoral stance. But, you know, this person will have to, whichever way they split it, will have to be either first minister or deputy first minister um, with Sinn Féin. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's pretty important to say that instability 
in the DUP does not necessarily mean instability for Northern Ireland, but it may add an element of uncertainty to a governance system that is based on power sharing and indeed partly based on good relations between key leaders. Now, of course, that's not to say that Arlene Foster always had good relations with Martin McGuinness, um, the former Deputy First Minister, or indeed Michelle O'Neill, the current Deputy First Minister. Indeed, the contrary was the case. Often there were clashes, um, periods where um, it seemed that communication between Arlene Foster and Michelle O'Neill in recent years was practically zero. But it is highly significant. It is also significant from a purely procedural basis. Um, when Arlene Foster steps down as First Minister, if, if the DUP fails to replace her um, within seven days after her resignation, then the UK Secretary of State, Brandon Lewis, will be forced to call an election. So there is a sense that perhaps even if now that perhaps worst case scenario in some ways um, doesn't happen, we are looking perhaps towards an even closer election. So we are looking at a new leader who could change things significantly, could probably shape DUP policy in a different way, might demand concessions on certain contentious issues in Northern Ireland, perhaps something like Irish language um, or perhaps abortion or any host of issues that have often split um, the DUP and Sinn Féin. And of course, it's worth bearing in mind that the DUP and Sinn Féin, at least at the moment, are the dominant parties in the parish sharing executive and a different relationship between Michelle O'Neill and any new DUP leader could have serious consequences. And it is worth bearing in mind that when relations between Michelle O'Neill at Arlene Foster were good, they did seem quite good. You know, they, they both bonded over um, being mothers, over looking after quite elderly parents. They, you know, did, I think, share some kind of quite human moments at some points. And it's, it's, it's an open question what happens next, depending on who the next DUP leader is, whether that relationship can stay the same. Yeah, I remember a, a interview during COVID with the the two Michelle O'Neill and Arlene Foster, and they had the lols over their hair. And while obviously it's just a what could be a fairly bland moment, it is unusual to see that kind of um, laughter and and bonding between a Sinn Féin and a and a DUP uh, politician. So, and I'm just going to stick with Arlene and give her the final word on on this podcast, Dominic. What will her legacy be? It's a very difficult question to answer um again in the hours after um arlene foster announced that she would be resigning i was looking up kind of old old clips of arlene old interviews um she had done especially i think actually from the perspective here in in derry and i came across um, a moment where she visited Cregan here in derry for anyone not familiar with Cregan, it is largely a nationalist republican area and she visited in the wake of the uh, shooting of lyra mckee um, and she really, I think, you know, spoke quite em emphatically and quite emotionally about the importance of the community coming together and identity not mattering. It was quite a brave thing to do for a DUP leader to visit uh, Cregan. And it was, I think it spoke to a sense of Arlie Foster as someone who did take some risks, who did um, at certain moments reach out beyond perhaps the traditional base of unionism and even in her resignation statement you know we saw her talking about the future of unionism and northern ireland will not be found 
in division. She you know, acknowledged that there are people in Northern Ireland with the British identity, other people who are Irish, others who are Northern Irish, other people a mixture of all three. And I think, you know, looking back, there were moments, I think, you know, Arlene Foster attended a GAA match, for instance. So there were moments that were significant and were important. But of course, um, there are various controversies that will overshadow some aspects of that, whether that's the RHI scandal, of course, Brexit, the fact that the implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol was in complete um, contravention of the DUP's own aspirations and aims. So I think people will remember Arlene Foster largely for Brexit, definitely here in Derry, right beside the border. Um, there will definitely be um, an association of Arlene Foster with the Brexit that Northern Ireland ended up with. Now, there was a, a very interesting discussion on BBC Radio Ulster the day after we learned that Arlene Foster would be resigning as leader. And they talked about where does Arlene Foster rank in the pantheon of DUP and unionist leaders now. I think there was an acknowledgement that she would not be up there with um, Carson and Craig in unionist myth and legend. And I think it was uh, Tim Cairns, a uh, former DUP special advisor, who acknowledged that, look, behind Ian Paisley and Peter Robinson, Arlene Foster is unfortunately in third place when it comes to DUP leaders. But I think it's probably worth remembering that even though that might be the opinion of many unionists, or at least it seems her own party, that because of the role the DUP briefly played in shaping Brexit, I think she will be remembered not just in Northern Ireland, but I think in the Republic of Ireland and of course in the wider UK for that prominent role she brought the DUP to. And of course, the prominent perch it eventually fell from. Thanks so much, Dominic, for coming in and explaining all that to us. I know my understanding has increased and it's probably one for some British political writers to have a listen to this week as well. Um, good luck with the rest of the reporting and the leadership contest. Nice to have something to report on that isn't COVID. And I'm sure we'll talk, be talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Dominic for joining us. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you want to support the podcast, there's a few things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a great way to make sure other people discover, listen and love The Explainer as well. Thank you and catch you next time.